0: Hi, guys, coming to Not Live from New Hampshire, and today, well, today, I'm going to be trying to interview my dad. We'll see if he's available on what's happening in Ukraine, because I'm sure that a lot of you have heard about it, and there's an increasingly bad situation. I've been watching a lot of the news, not sure about you guys, but it's scaring me a little bit, but I want to find out some more about it, so let's go to my dad. As you can hear in the background, Douglas is also a little bit scared. So hi, Daddy. Um, I was just calling you before you leave the office because yesterday before you left, you said that uh you ca- it cost a hundred dollars to fill up your tank yesterday. So how? Yeah, come?
1: yeah, Kai. Listen, that was crazy. Um, you know, to fill up my Jeep cost one hundred dollars. Now it was basically empty, so okay, maybe that's part of it, but that's a big, big number. And as you know, I think part of the reason is what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, which I know you and I have talked about. Um, And, you know, I think part of it yesterday, at least, was Biden decided that he would ban all imports of Russian oil. And as you know, America has been importing Russian oil, not a lot compared to our needs, but some. And so despite this war going on and us putting economic sanctions on Russia, We were also sending them money it's crazy but that's what was happening so i think the immediate cause of oil prices going up was that but there's a bigger story here kai i mean look you've heard about all these people wanting to have uh, electric vehicles and the climate change mitigation efforts of uh, let's get solar and wind well unfortunately solar and wind are less reliable and you know, you need sun and you need wind. <laughs> otherwise you don't get energy. Um, and uh, you know, for better or worse, oil, gasoline, propane, those are very reliable. You know when you have them, they will work. So I think part of it is the climate focus that led to oil companies investing less, which meant that they could produce less in the United States. Part of it's what's happening in the global markets with Russia, Ukraine, but also Iran and other stories. And then the last tidbit is, you know, we decided to import less oil through pipelines. You know, there was this pipeline that was being built called the Keystone Pipeline um, that uh, that President Biden canceled uh, when he first joined uh, the White House or when he first entered the White House. So I know that's a long answer, but there's a bunch of different things that are causing oil prices to go up.
0: So what exactly is happening in Ukraine?
1: You know, you tell me what's going on in Ukraine.
0: Um. I've been hearing a lot of the same things as you, a lot of um, civilian bombings and really bad stuff. But uh, will it affect like people in America in ways kind of other than oil prices? Or
1: Okay, so Kai, before we get started, I know we're going to talk a lot about economics and political dynamics, but it's really important that we not forget the fact that you know, a war such as what is going on in Ukraine today often has lots of casualties. There's a humanitarian crisis and there's unfortunately women, children, and men that are dying. And so, you know, that's the real crisis here. So even though we talk about economics, politics, and other dynamics, let's not forget that there are people dying. So, um, you know, we really should, our hearts go out to those people who are suffering. Um, And that's frankly, more than not the Ukrainian people. So let's just remember that. But other than that, I'm happy to talk to you about anything else you want to talk about.
0: Since President Biden has made it clear that the U.S. is not going to step in militarily to minimize the largest and harshest effects of the war, whether or not we agree with that, uh, tell us how we in America will be affected or might even affect um, the war. Uh, I know that oil prices are what's biggest like on the news and everything, but what else is happening?
1: Of course. And in fact, Ukraine itself is not necessarily a big player in the oil market. It's not about Ukraine. It's about the world's response to Russia that produces a lot of oil. So, you know, the world is putting sanctions on Russia, trying not to buy Russian oil, you know, messing up their ability to, to get dollars and pay for uh, products and sell their oil in dollars. You know, I don't want to get into the technicalities, but there's just something called the SWIFT system, which is how people transfer money around the world um, that they've been almost completely blocked from, etc. cetera. Um, but your question, which I think is a really good one, is how will what's happening in Ukraine affect? us. And I think one way that people haven't been thinking about and probably need to is that it can affect food prices. So, let me give you an example. Right now, Russia and Ukraine together, I think I don't know the exact number but it's close to 30% or maybe even more than 30% of the wheat in the world. And so what does wheat go into? For some of your listeners that may not know what wheat goes into, wheat goes into pasta. Wheat goes into bread, wheat goes into cupcakes, wheat goes into cakes, and uh, anything that's baked often has wheat. By the way, it it goes into a soy sauce, right? They use wheat to sort of thicken it a little bit. It is used in lots of things. So everyone in America seems to be very worried about the price at the pump when they go to fill up their tank. Unfortunately, I think in the future, they might get more worried about the grocery store and the price of the cart. know what they put in their grocery cart so so that's one way there's a lot of other ways but you know let me stop there
0: (laughs) all right so um the wheat's a big thing but uh what about like anything else that's kind of in the other countries surrounding russia like belarus specifically
1: oh well belarus is a fascinating country. It was basically taken over by Russia, as you know, uh, before. It's not legally taken over, but they've installed a uh, There's a government there that's very Russia friendly. Uh, they let the tanks get organized there. They let the military get organized there to attack Ukraine. So, you know, they're basically an extension of Russia, I think, um, or at least that's one way to think of it. Belarus is one of the world's largest producers of fertilizers, of of something called potash. So um, I don't want to bore your listeners with too much details on fertilizer, but when it comes to plants and being able to grow plants uh, quickly, plants really have a problem with three key ingredients that if we can give it to them, they grow faster. The first ingredient is potassium. um, And potassium is something, of course, we all know it's in bananas and other things, but potassium can be uh, taken out of the ground, mined, um, and the water-soluble form of that is known as potash. Another thing plants need is phosphorus. And phosphorus can be mined in the ground, you know, in the form of phosphate rocks. And the last thing plants need is nitrogen. And you can make nitrogen work in a way that plants can absorb it if you have a lot of energy. It's called fixing the nitrogen so that the plants can take it. So plants basically need nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Well, it turns out, I think it's almost half, uh, between Russia and Belarus, it's probably half, or close to it, of the world's supply of potash, which is potassium used to help plants grow, um, is in Belarus and Russia. Close to half, or maybe more than half. I haven't paid attention to the details, but a lot. And so that's another problem, because Belarus... If, that, if they don't produce the fertilizers then and we don't produce the wheat or don't get the wheat to global markets that Russia and, uh, and, and Ukraine produce, well, now not only will we have less wheat, but we may get less yield out of the existing plants elsewhere in the world if there isn't enough fertilizer or fertilizer prices will rise. And then again, maybe corn prices will rise, soybean prices will rise, wheat prices will rise, cotton prices could rise, agriculture prices generally could rise.
0: So is Belarus being sanctioned? Because I haven't heard a lot about them on the news. It's all about just Russia and Ukraine, but I feel like they're a big player in this.
1: You know, Kai, you got me on that one. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's a good idea. I think you should go work for the State Department and tell them, hey, listen, you know, you're sanctioning uh, Russia because they're the bad actor. But Belarus is part of Team Russia. You got to stop them, too. I think one of the practicalities, whether or not they're sanctioned or not, um, Belarus used to send, I think, a lot of the fertilizer through Ukraine to the ports in southern Ukraine in order to ship the fertilizers to global markets. So whether or not they're sanctioned, there's a big risk of disruption.
0: Wow. um, So how are markets acting like other markets that don't necessarily
1: correspond with Russia, but... Oh, well, Kai, okay. there's a lot of things that Russia produces that correspond with lots of other markets. So let's give you an example, nickel. Russia is one of the biggest producers of nickel. And you can say, well, what is nickel used for? Well, it goes into stainless steel and other things, but it also goes into batteries for electric vehicles and other things. And nickel prices went through the roof. Um, and they, you know, that's a potential problem. Well, it turns out if you can't produce batteries, there's countries around the world that produce batteries, and then, so their prices of those companies, um, you know, potentially are at risk because their profits will go down if they have to pay more for the nickel. Uh, steel companies might get affected, so you know it can affect a lot of companies around the world. But the other thing to think about that's really important, Ty, is financial markets are all interconnected, and you know, again, I don't want to bore your listeners with too many details here, but you can think about the fact that there are emerging markets and there are developed markets. Developed markets are the countries that are very modern, that are fully developed, and emerging markets are the usually higher growth, but less developed countries. So a lot of African countries, India, uh, China historically was an emerging market, Russia. These are countries where there's a lot of opportunity for fast growth. Um, right. I mean, if you're the first person to start selling uh, some product in a country that's never had it before, that, com- that company can grow pretty quickly. Um, but unfortunately, there's a risk that financial investors, the stock market investors that invest in Russia, Russia is probably too, in- too risky for them to put a lot of money in. So they put some money there. They put some money in China, some in Indonesia, some in Brazil, all over to get a diversified portfolio. Well, when one portion of their portfolio falls, like Russia, Russia the first day of the war was down 50 or 60% the same day, well, suddenly their portfolio fell in value and now they have too much of the other countries. So they start selling those countries. They start selling their Brazilian stocks, their Indonesian stocks. And so a lot of emerging markets suddenly started going down also. So, plus, you know, of course, you know this because we've talked about this. The world feels riskier. People lose confidence in the future, right? And so, how many people are going to take a trip to travel to the Middle East to go see some of the historic sites? Or how many people are going to travel? Oh, I wanted to see St. Petersburg. I've always wanted to go. Yeah, probably not, right? They're probably not going there. Uh, even Europe, some people are nervous about going to Europe. So, consumers change their behavior, investors change their behavior. And yes, even though it's a Russia-Ukraine, you know, focal event, it can snowball far beyond the borders or even the region.
0: What about the markets specifically in the U.S., like the S&P and the Dow, which you see a lot about on like CNN, or not CNN, but other news channels in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I think you're thinking about CNBC that I watch. (laughs) Yep, so those markets have gone down generally, but they're pretty volatile, right? They go up and down a lot. They were already struggling this year for a different reason. They were struggling because um, the Federal Reserve was thinking about raising interest rates and was starting to say, hey, we're going to start raising interest rates, and they probably will start raising interest rates. Um, and it's, it's very complicated. I don't want to bore you with this, but it has to do with inflation. So if inflation is going up, right, the price at the pump, you see how much more we're spending on everything, right? Everything is more expensive. Even when we buy meat at the grocery store, when you buy food, when you buy, you know, when you go to the gas station, our heating bills, everything's going up. And so it's expensive. Well, one way to slow down the rise in prices is to usually raise interest rates, Um, And so when they raise interest rates, it'll slow down the economy. The cost of money becomes more expensive. And so people use less money and then inflation or the pressure on inflation tends to go down. Um, Now, it might take a lot of interest rate rises to do that. So you don't know how that'll play out. But because of that, the markets were expecting a slowdown even before Russia invaded Ukraine. So, yes, you're right. They're volatile, which means they bounce up and down a lot but they also have been generally going down. The NASDAQ, which is mainly tech stocks or mostly, or tech heavy, let's say, um, that was down the most of any of the big US indexes earlier this year. So, is that helpful?
0: Yes, that's helpful. So, now I'm gonna well, be- Well, with... me,
1: let, let me ask you a question. What do you think of the markets, Kai? Uh,
0: I don't really pay enough attention to them to be able to answer that.
1: Okay, all right, that's
0: fine. So, now moving away from the markets and stocks uh what do you think of putin's responses because he's been making a lot of claims that where he just kind of gets to tell the other countries not to do something because that would be declared an act of war in his mind
1: yeah look unfortunately i think we're letting him control the dialogue or the narrative the story um but i think you know there's a phrase there is a person who i was very uh friendly with, he was, a, uh, he was a mentor of mine um, and he used to help me think about investing and thinking about the world and thinking about how different people could act. And he had a really interesting phrase that I still remember. He said, cornered cats jump in strange ways. And what he meant by that was sometimes when people get really desperate, when they feel like they're cornered and they don't know what to do, they might do something that you can't expect or predict. And so I get worried that Putin is feeling like, he, hey, I was supposed to take Ukraine. It was supposed to be quick, easy. I don't know. It hasn't happened. Well, well if you guys aren't careful, I'm going to use nuclear bombs. Wait, whoa, whoa. then the world gets nervous. He says, well, economic, if you could put sanctions, that's economic war. Okay, well, then don't you dare bring any planes from somewhere else over here. No, you know, we'll shoot down, whatever it is. I think it's a little bit risky, right? It, gets, it feels risky because... Um, I think that phrase captures it, cornered cats jump in strange ways. And if he feels cornered, then he might actually do something that none of us can predict. And I get really worried about that. But hopefully he won't.
0: Yeah, hopefully. So if you were in a position to um, be able to make decisions about the crisis in Ukraine from the U.S. or NATO's perspective, what would you be doing?
1: Oh, I think one of the first things we have to do is try to isolate him, but also give him a way out of the crisis. You have to try to give him a way to save face without looking like he's embarrassed himself or that he has to get more aggressive. There has to be a diplomatic way to do this. Unfortunately, um, I don't see it. I don't know, but but I would work hard on trying to figure that out. Um The other thing to do, for the U.S. at least, um, I would encourage us to to explore doing whatever we can to increase our reliable energy in North America, and in particular in the United States, because that will help reduce the pressure on the U.S. consumers. They'll be able to get maybe a little more patriotic. And so that'll help America. Uh, That's one way that Putin can't hold us, quote unquote, hostage to higher oil prices, which by the way, higher oil prices help him because he produces a lot of oil. So we got to be careful what we're doing and what the result is. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, if I were NATO and if I were the United States from a military perspective, um, I would uh, I would definitively say very bluntly to the world that if anyone encroaches on this space of NATO, one inch of NATO is attacked, that they will get the full response of the entire NATO alliance. And that means the US military and everyone will come and defend the NATO terrain as we're supposed to as part of NATO, right? I mean, the whole point for some of your listeners may not know this, but NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was designed around one concept of collective security, which meant an attack on one is gonna be considered an attack on all. And so if someone attacks the U.S., we will attack back. And if they attack Poland or some other NATO country, that's considered an attack on the U.S. So we wanna avoid having to get to war. We should tell them right away, Russia I never, any attack will be met by the full force of the U.S. military and our NATO partners. So I would do that. And then the last thing we can do, which I think we have the ability to, you know, if we did more drilling in the United States, we'd get more natural gas. And we are, are building these LNG terminals where we take the natural gas and cool it down and compress it, put it in a ship and ship it over to Europe. We can do that to help our, our friends in Europe um, get, get by without Russian energy. Like they need that too, right? I mean, they need to keep their homes heated. They need to be able to have their their um, transportation's working, et cetera. And so we can try to help them there.
0: Right, so what do you think of the current leaders' responses and, and all, from all over the world and just countries' responses?
1: Well, it's interesting. Okay. I mean, one of, let's start here. One of the things that I get really worried about that I've been hearing a little bit about recently is um, President Biden and the Biden administration has, maybe they haven't officially said it, but it's definitely been a rumor through the press and other areas that we may be trying to get more oil from Iran and Venezuela, and then Saudi Arabia is an ally of ours, but, but at least Iran and Venezuela are not. So I don't think it's a good idea to try to deal with the problem by going you know, dealing with the problem of fighting a, of one of our enemies, that we're buying oil from, and we try to replace that oil with oil from different enemies. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. So, I, ho- I hope we don't do that. Um, and, you know, we can talk about Iran if you want. Um, you know, I, I just wrote a piece about Iran and, and sort of what's happening with that nuclear deal that's being proposed. We can come back to that. But I think that that's a very bad idea for us to go replace the oil from one enemy with the oil from different enemies. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Um, in terms of other countries' responses, you know, every country generally tries to look out for themselves, guy, okay? um, and that's something that you have to respect at least because they have they're elected by their own people and they have to make sure they try to take care of their own people. Now, combining that need to take care of your own people with the need for collective or global peace and security is a delicate balancing act. So, some countries have done it better than others. You know, Germany originally said, no, you can't do the sanctions. No, we still need the oil and energy or, or the gas. No, you can't. Like, and so there were some exceptions to the sanctions we put on Russia at the beginning, because Germany didn't really, we didn't even sanction SWIFT and any of those electronic payment systems because I think it was mainly Germany, but it could have been other countries. Said, so, no, 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 we need, we need the energy. We need to be able to pay them for the energy. Or we won't get energy. So, you know, that's a tough situation. And, you know, I don't want to pass too much judgment, but, you know, we find ourselves in that situation because we allowed Germany to get hooked on Russian energy. Um, Other countries, you know, it's kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, a little bit, you know, I think interesting, let's say, how China's responded, right? I mean, Xi Jinping and Putin were sitting together at the Olympics and... You know, you have to wonder, well, did Putin tell Xi Jinping that we're going to do this in Ukraine? You don't know. But they're two very aligned partners. They put out a big memo about how they're super good partners on everything. And you have to wonder whether or not they're on the same team. right. So I think that's a good question to to think about. Um, And then even a country like India, you know, you would have hoped that they would have jumped up and down to try to, you know, Help global stability, peace, and we want to protect. They've been maybe less, you know, less vocal on that matter than I would have hoped. Um, and so, whereas you know, there are other countries like Kenya, which is really interesting. The Kenyan ambassador to the United Nations talked um, during a small speech he gave at the UN about, "Hey, look, all of us in Africa," he said, "We've been dealt with borders that we don't like." Right, I mean, sometimes there's a tribe that was divided because our colonial rulers decided to draw a line in between, they didn't think about where our people were. They thought the line should be here for the country and not there. And they said, but we've all decided to live our lives forward, protecting and respecting borders. And we're allowing ourselves to go across borders with economic relationships and unions, with political relationships and unions, we are not changing borders by force. And so, you know, I think that kind of sentiment exists probably more broadly than we think. Uh, A lot of countries, I think, believe that. Um, But some of the biggest ones were silent, which was a little disappointing. Yeah. What do you think?
0: I think that it's disappointing that the countries that are larger and closer to Putin won't do anything, because I feel like, they have more of a chance of stopping him than the countries he's already enemies with.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. You're probably right. They, they probably could have had more influence on him, but you know, you have to ask the question. Maybe they actually wanted him to do this. You never know. Maybe that it allows the world to be focused on Russia and Ukraine. And you know, there's been a lot of people hypothesizing that. Well, you know, maybe China now can pay more attention to reintegrating Taiwan. So you don't know. You know. We really don't know what's motivating who and why, but I think you're right. It is disappointing.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Kai. You know I'll always join you whenever you ask. I'm yeah. just honored to be get, getting the invite to come back. This is fun. Um, so I will see you after I wrap up the rest of my workday here, but uh, good luck editing it, and we'll, uh, I'll talk to you uh, later tonight.
0: Talk to you later. All right, bye. So, thank you, Daddy, once again. That was interesting, but very sad. We have to all remember that this is, like, a war, and people are being hurt and killed. So, it's really heartbreaking and almost terrifying that this is happening in our world. Um, I know that my thoughts don't really do much, but I'm kind of hoping that... People are safe in Ukraine and that Putin maybe thinks about de escalating. Um, thank you all for listening. That's about all I have to say, so I'll see you guys next time on The Kai Guy Show.